But hey, mom, talk to me a little bit. Um, you you were born in 1934. Yes. Which was right in the middle of the depression. Do you remember anything of the depression, or were you just too small? Um, well, I do remember the rationing, uh -huh. and uh, I would come with my dad up to the grocery store in Napanee here, and uh, he would have uh, coupons for certain things, meat and whatnot. And I know he uh, a lot of times it was some butter. I think was one thing, and meat and some things, and uh, if he didn't need the coupons, he would hand them out to somebody that was in there. Oh, no kidding. Mm -hmm. Where did you get married at? In Melford, there was a, I believe it was a, <clears throat> well, there was a minister down there. I uh -huh. can't think of his name. But we went <clears throat> to his house, and uh, his wife was there. And Did you want to live at the house, at the farm, or did you want to? No, well, no, we really didn't have a choice. I mean, uh -huh. somebody had, you know. And, uh, so is that kind of why you guys moved in there, just to take care of Grandma? Well, it just seemed, you know, suitable, and uh, we just, yeah. Yeah. What was the hardest thing about raising children back then? Well, I don't know. We just did it. I mean, yeah. you know. We had him, and we took care of him <laughs> yeah. until we had a boy. <laughs> when did that happen? Uh, which one was the, how do I say this, onriest? The onriest? Yeah. Uh, probably Philip. <laughs> no, no, I'm the girls. <laughs> Remember the time when somehow you got into a, 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 a paint, uh, a bucket of black paint? Yeah, I actually don't remember that. I don't that. know, it was in the living room. I don't know if we had set it in there to warm it. I think Dad had. And we were out in the kitchen, and then we came in, and our son Phil had the brush, and he had paint all over him. And uh, I took you over to Grandma's, and she helped me clean you up. What advice would you give to somebody with little kid, little children? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, you have to love them, yes, but you also have to teach them right and wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, don't do this, don't do that, and, uh, but yeah. I remember you running after me with a twig. <laughs> <laughs> Probably more than once. <laughs> when I first came back here from when I was at the hospital and at the nursing home, and I had a couple of women coming and helping me. Yeah, that's just a couple of years ago. Yeah. I know the one woman said, you are so fortunate to have my girls. She said, there's so many people, they don't have anyone. Yeah. Well, you tend to receive what you've invested. Scripture says you reap what you sow. Yeah. Well, you have uh, sown into your family your whole life. And so it's, uh, it's kind of an honor to be able to show a little bit of that back to you. So you've got a few grandchildren, don't you? Yes, I do. Do you know how many? I couldn't tell you. I have 14 grandchildren and I have 19 great-grandchildren. Pretty soon 20. 
and uh, then there's the two great great, great. great. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not going to ask you to name them all. <laughs> but I you, think I could. You probably could. <laughs> but tell me, um, what's your hope for them? Well, I hope they will all accept Christ into their lives and be good. You know, yeah. make, a, make good choices. That was my precious little mama that you got to meet there. And uh, that is the most words that have ever been spoken in public by her, I guarantee it. She was, uh, she was a little terrified of the TV or the cameras. And uh, I didn't tell her why I was doing that, but she figured it out. So all of a sudden she, but when the lights went out at the end, she doesn't know this yet, she came alive, but we kept all the stuff going. And so uh, for over 90 minutes, uh, my son Calvin went, and I were interviewing her and talking about her life and such. And uh, it's something that a couple of years ago during COVID, I kicked myself and I thought, why in the world did I not preach the Mother's Day message from my mom's living room? I could have done that. And uh, so over the last couple of years, I've been wanting to do this and we are so blessed. Those of you who don't know, my, my mom a couple of years ago was uh, very near going home and wasn't expected to live long. So the fact that we have her for uh, another Mother's Day for us is such a blessing. By the way, I, uh, for those who have not seen them, uh, I, her daughters that she was talking about are up here. We're going to put them up real quick. And those are her, her girls. And uh, they're all wearing uh, different uh, aprons that my, my mother-in-law actually made for them. We picked out some material just to thank them for all they've done. And so those are my uh, six older sisters. And uh, you know who who I am and, you know, don't need to say any more from that. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Judges. We're starting a series today called Legacies. It's living a life beyond your, your own. And it's not so much about family per se as it is just simply having an investment that endures beyond your own life. I recognize that for those that are here today, some have family units, some don't have a, a typical family unit, some have, have struggled with, uh, with infertility, others have gone through loss, and so I, I recognize that a day like today has a lot of emotions to it, and yet all of us can aspire to live a life that, that endures beyond our own, to make an investment that endures for all of eternity, and today I want to kind of take us on that journey, and over the next several weeks together, we're going to be talking about this whole idea of legacy. You're going to hear different testimonies of people who made an impact in people's lives. And obviously, my mom made a big impact in mine. And moms that are here, you made a big impact on your children as well. The story of Gideon is an, an interesting story. It's a weird place to do a Mother's Day message, but it's a great place to talk about having a vision for your life that matches God's vision rather than our own vision. Now, Gideon is a part of Israel after Israel has begun to, to slide. Uh, after Joshua was leading the nation of Israel, Israel began to slide and began to do some up and down. It's where you begin to see the back and forth, the up and down in their spiritual journey. 
And they are now in a seven-year slide where they have been really walking away from the Lord. He's from a, the smaller tribe or a smaller tribe. It's a tribe that actually is split in half called Manasseh. And the Lord is calling him to be a judge. A judge in those days would be one who stands up and proclaims what is right, what is justice, but also leads the people of Israel. Not really a king, just someone who took the lead. They were willing to, to take the lead and to lead Israel into righteousness. And, and in Judges chapter, chapter 6, this is what it says, just to give you a little context in chapter 6, verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. And whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. And they camped in the land, and they ruined the crops all the way to Gaza. And they did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys." They came up with their livestock, their tents, like a swarm of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. So to give you a context is that this enemy that was oppressing the Israelites was oppressive and overwhelming. And it's interesting in our lives that when we come to the end of our rope, we begin to actually look for what the Lord wants to do. And they were so impoverished. That's an interesting concept. They became so impoverished. They were so starving for God to do something that they cried out to the Lord. They sought the Lord for help. And it said, it said, then the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, and he sent a prophet to them. And if you go down just a little bit further into this passage, we see Gideon coming on the, the stage. And here's what it says. The angel of the Lord. Now, whenever you see the term in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord, many scholars believe that is actually a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, that it is him as the Son of God coming to and speaking. And so you'll notice that sometimes he calls him the angel of the Lord. Other times he simply calls him Lord. Again, we don't know for certain, but you see it several times in the Old Testament. It says the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that, and longed, uh, that belonged to Joaz the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress to keep it away from the Midianites. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened? Where are all of his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and has put us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. I am the least of the least. I am the weakest of the weakest. I, I have less influence than anyone else would have. And the Lord said, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Now I want to stop there this morning because 
really in those verses we see we see a battle that goes on in individuals' minds. Am I going to be who God sees me to be, or am I going to be who I kind of see myself to be? It's a battle of the views. Gideon, if you know the story at all, is kind of famously known for putting a fleece before the Lord. In fact, anytime somebody uses this idea of making a fleece to the Lord, it's really referring back to Gideon, whether you know it or not. That's what most people know Gideon for, although that's a really small portion of the story of Gideon. There's way more going on than simply him battling with faith, battling with whether or not the Lord is really calling him into the role that he has. What you really have is an individual who is battling whether or not to step into the role, into the vision that God has for him. I would dare say to you that if we're going to have a life that endures, if we're going to have a life that makes a difference, there's a point where we have to kind of set aside how we see ourselves and step into the view that God has for us. Notice the two opposing views. God saw Gideon as mighty warrior. He says, God, with, God is with you, mighty warrior. But Gideon saw himself, if I can put it in this vernacular, as the biggest loser. He, he saw himself as a weakling. He saw himself as a nobody. He saw himself as somebody who didn't have any possibility. And it's interesting to me that when God has a vision of an individual, when God sees an individual, he sees how he sees them, sees who they could be, sees what they can become, sees what he can do through their life. And so many times we have an opposing view. Abraham, Abram at the time, was, was simply an individual who was fatherless. He didn't have any children, and yet God, looked at him and said, you're going to be the father of many nations. Your children are going to be like the sands of the seashore. If you look at Jacob in the Old Testament, his name means grasper. His identity given to him was basically he was a thief. He was someone who was deceitful or sneaky. But when God sees him, he renames him, calls him, calls him Israel, which means the, the prince of peace or a peaceful one. God sees him different than his own reality. He becomes the father of the nation of Israel. Peter in the New Testament. Peter was an individual who was a fisherman, and yet God, Jesus kept calling him Peter or Petrus, and he calls him a rock that I'm going to make you into somebody on which the church of Jesus Christ is going to flourish and be led by you. You see yourself as a lowly fisherman. I see you as someone who's going to do mighty things for the Lord. And when we begin to embrace how it is that our identity is found in Christ, our identity is not found in what everybody else scripts for us, it's amazing what God can do in our life. And that word scripting is really interesting because it's amazing how we often will believe the script that other people have looked at us. Can't tell you how many people who are great people today who would say, you know what, when I was in school, my teacher said I'd never amount to anything. Or individuals who said, my teacher said I could never do what it was that I really thought I was going to do. Or individuals who had parents who said that, you know what, you'll never amount to anything. How they overcame that is because they began to get a bigger view for their life than the view that was scripted for them. Today, just kind of as a context, I want to set it by looking at the three keys in Gideon's life that helped him step into God's vision for his life. And I would tell you is a, is a pattern for us as well. And number one, Gideon had to deal with his own past. 
He had to deal with the past. Look what it says here in verse 11 through 13. It says, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak at Ophrah. I want to say Oprah all the time. It's actually Ophrah. Uh, and that belonged to Joaz the Abizarite. It can be also pronounced uh, Abizarite. Uh, it can be a, a short A or a long A. Uh, where the son of Gideon was threshing. And he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now notice what he says. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, implying he's not, why has all of this happened to us? Where are all of his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Gideon. Now I want you to notice for a few minutes the influences that scripted Gideon's life that he was believing in. The first one that I notice is painful circumstances and life's disappointments. When he responds to the Lord and the Lord says, mighty warrior, I have a vision for you. His first response is simply that the circumstances and the disappointments that I've endured are far too much to make that, make that possible. Notice he says, why has all of this happened? And then he responds right after that, where are all of the wonders that God talked about? It's amazing how many times people, when they'll look at their life, what will script them are the disappointments in life. The disappointments of a childhood, the disappointments of, of hardship or a loss that they've gone through. And I'm not discounting those at all. Uh, people have gone through some really hard things. Or even in your adulthood, how you've gone through circumstances that are very painful. But it's interesting, he says, where are all of your wonders? As if to say, Lord, Everybody talks about how good you are. Where is your goodness in my life? And those begin to create a script that we believe about our life. God loves everybody else, doesn't love me. Or if God is so good, then why am I going through what I'm going through? Which leads us to the second script. It jumps out of that same passage. It's... It's, our, it's, it's the way that we look at God or our perceptions of him. God has abandoned us. God has left us. Interesting, there are so many illustrations of this that are jumping into my head because there are some that are here today and I, especially with it being Mother's Day, I, I know the flood of emotions that come. It's the joys of memories, but it's also the sense of loss. For some, it's the loss of what wasn't or hasn't happened yet. Others look into their life and they see that a disappointment that came. And what it begins to do is that what has happened in our life really begins to formulate a perception of what we think about God. Gideon had a perception of the Lord that, man, Lord, you've abandoned us. And we believe that script, and so it's really hard to step into what God has for us when we believe that script. 
The third script is actually the script of our own failures, of our past. Now, the interesting thing about, about Gideon is that Gideon was from a clan and was from a tribe called Manasseh. And Manasseh wasn't technically one of the original 12 tribes. He was, but it wasn't. You see, the 12 tribes of Israel were formed by the 12 children of Jacob. But you don't see Joseph in the lineage. It actually is amazing because Joseph, who is Jacob's son, his his son who became the the second to Pharaoh in Egypt. If you go back into the book of Genesis, and I I gave you some background passages if you want to go back and study it, Manasseh was actually the son of Joseph. And as a double blessing to Joseph, Jacob blessed those boys, both of his sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and made both of them tribes. He gave them a double inheritance. So Manasseh was actually the result, the tribe was the result of a double blessing of God. He was actually, his name, Manasseh, meant that God has taken the the painful sting out of my memory. That's why Joseph named him the name that he did. There was really a great heritage and blessing at the beginning of the tribe of Manasseh. What had happened though, over course of time, Manasseh began to drift. Manasseh actually split. Half the tribe was on the east side of the Jordan, half the tribe was on the west side of the Jordan. And it's interesting how over time, they they had kind of lost their identity, their great calling that God had in their life. Now you take that and superimpose that into Gideon or the the life of those of, of the tribe of Manasseh, it says that all of Israel began to do sin in the eyes of the Lord. And sometimes what scripts us in our life is our own failures, our own sins, the, the mess ups that we've made. And we, we think to ourselves that because this has all happened, I can never become really what God has for me. I've missed God's plan A. I'll never be able to enjoy God's favor or blessing in my life. By the way, I would just simply remind you that it's interesting what God says about children. In John chapter 1, it says this, to all who received him, to all who believe in his name, he gave them the right to be called children of God, children born of natural descent, nor of human decision, but of a, not of a husband's will, but born of God. See, when God sees us, it's not about the family you came from, but about the family you're a part of. So some of you who have some disappointments, some of you who didn't have the greatest, the greatest examples, the family you're a part of today is the family of God is the family that really, that really counts as God looks at you and sees your potential. Let me give you the fourth area that sometimes scripts our, our, our lives, and it's just simply family patterns. There are things that we've learned in our family, good and bad, that have a way of scripting our lives. Uh, I was reminiscing this week, and I did a lot of that because we were working on this video for my mom. I was remembering the stories, and I had, I had a lot of really good stories from my childhood. My mom was, um, is, 
an incredibly gracious woman. Um, I was realizing even when I was watching this video, honestly, while she would sometimes get a little upset, my mom was pretty patient, realizing how many kids were running around the farm. And my mom showed a lot of grace. Let me give you one story to show you the grace my mom had in my life. Um, When I was a a fairly young man, uh, I got a new slingshot. And um, uh, it was pretty cool. And, and I could really shoot that thing. If you pull it back like that, had a little brace on it. If you've ever seen one of these things, they are powerful. And, uh, so I was going around the farm and I was shooting the walls of the side of the barn until that got a little boring. And then I went out and I saw some of the calves walking around. And so I was shooting them in the behind to see what they would do, you know, and, and I'd hit them and I was pretty good with that thing. And so I'm walking out by the chicken coop. Now remember, I wasn't a brat, I was just ornery. That's, that's my mom said it. And uh, so I'm walking out there and I see a chicken going back and forth. And so um, took that slingshot, never thinking I was going to hit that thing. Ba-cock! Boom. Chicken's gone. And at that moment, I decided, I had to make a decision that every little boy in here knows exactly what I was thinking. (laughs) Where can I hide this chicken? (laughs) But I did what I think I almost always did, and that was I swallowed hard, and I walked inside. It was a Sunday. It was a Sunday afternoon. It just so happened we were having a barbecue that night. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) one way or the other, we were having a barbecue that night. And I walk into the house and I said, Mom, and she goes, yeah, Philip. I said, I killed a chicken. And she looked at me and she said what she probably said a thousand times growing up. Philip. (laughs) That was always how I knew I was in trouble, right? So my mom went out, she butchered the chicken and she looked at me and she said, and you're going to eat it too. (laughs) And so we had chicken that night. Now, It's amazing because my mom showed such forgiveness and grace, but taught me a lesson in that whole thing. But in our family of origin, there are stories that aren't quite like that. I have a great-grandfather. The guy wasn't the best. Abandoned the family. There are stories. Every story has stories that are blessings and curses. Every, every family has those stories. The family patterns that we have may influence our life, but they don't have to determine our life. And Gideon had to, he had to come to grips with who he was. He had to come to grips with his family. He had to come to grips with the scripting that he'd believed about himself, and he had to be willing to leave that behind and step into the scripting that God had for his life, mighty warrior. Now, there's a second thing that I notice in this story that he had to break the unhealthy cycles that were in his family. Now, this is interesting. We didn't get to this yet, but if we get down to verse 25, God begins to speak into Gideon's life, and he begins to prove who he is. He gives some some signs of it, and I want you to see what happens in verse 25. That same night, the Lord said to him, Gideon, 
Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old, and look what he's going to do. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build the proper kind of altar to the Lord your God at the top of his height using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down. Offer the second bowl as a burnt offering. So, verse 27, Gideon took 10 of his servants and he did as the Lord told him. Now you may not, this, I've read this story so many times in my life, but it struck me how important it was for Gideon in order to step into what God had for him, he had to be willing to break the unhealthy cycles that were part of his life. What he did was a really big deal. He dishonored his father. He, dis, he dishonored his clan. They wanted to put him to death, but his dad was doing some things that weren't right. God said, honor and love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And yet what had happened throughout all of Israel is they had set up false idols, false worship to take place. And he challenged Gideon and said, Gideon, you've got to be willing to break the unhealthy cycles. What happened in your life was a model. What your dad has done in life was a model, but that is not your identity. In fact, I I gave you some notes on this. You got to be willing to tear down the patterns that dishonor God and then begin new patterns that honor God. Now, those patterns may be worship. Those patterns may be, it can be everything from the way you do conflict, from the way that you treat alcohol, from the way that you, that you treat each others, the, the way that you engage in anger, the way that you do relationships. It is so interesting to watch people's life, how some of the same patterns that they've seen emulated in their life that are unhealthy, they either embrace them and follow them or they break them and are willing to go a different direction. And the patterns that have been shown in our family of origin, the patterns from our past, they don't have to be our future. In fact, you'll notice the third thing I said here is he courageously fought for the soul of his family. He said, I want you to break the unhealthy patterns. I want you to start the healthy patterns. And then I want you to make a sacrifice, a burnt offering, which is an offering of consecration, an offering of worship, an offering of sanctification, if you will. He says, I want you to intercede for the soul of your family. And parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and children praying still for your, your family, your parents, the brothers, your sisters, courageously, courageously intercede for the souls of your family. I realize that culture says too late, far gone. Let them do. Don't be judgmental. Do You know what? You can, you can intercede without being judgmental and in people's face. But don't quit interceding. Stepping into what God has for your plans and your future, you've got to be willing, you've got to be willing to break the unhealthy cycles. 
Number three, the third thing I notice in this is he had to embrace his own faith. Notice what he says in this passage. It says, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? Translation, I can't do this. Lord, what you're asking me to do, I can't do. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And I want you to see what the Lord said to him. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. And I wrote this down because I wanted to make sure I said it exactly right. Because some of you right now, the scripting of your life, either in the way that you relate to people or in the way that you do relationship or in the struggle that you have with conflict or in the way that you deal with the anger within or the the hidden habits and the sins that seem to have controlled your life or whatever it is and you're saying, Lord, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I want you to see what the Lord said to him. The Lord is saying to you this morning, I am not asking you to do what you cannot do. I am asking you to do what you can do. And then I will show up and do what you could not have done without me. I've read this story so many times and when the Lord says to him, go in the strength you have. Now, the strength you have wasn't enough. But the Lord said, go in the strength you have, and then I will be with you. I am asking you to step out in faith. I am asking you to walk in the direction that I have you to walk. And when you come to the point you can't do this on your own, I will be there, and I will do it for you. And if there is nothing else that you take out of this message, Lord, I can't, I can't trust you. Walk in the faith that you have and then allow the Lord to bring you the rest of the way home. Lord, I, I, can't, I can't break this habit. I can't stand for you. I can't do this in the workplace. Go in the strength that you have and then I will be with you. One of my favorite quotes over the years about life, and I don't know who said it, maybe that's appropriate, but I was able to locate it again, and it simply says this, when you are 80, and by the way, if you're 80, when you're 90, and if you're 90, when you're 100, you can keep on moving it up if you like. When you are 80, sitting on that porch rocking chair, and looking back on your life, how will you feel? You won't have to answer to anybody but yourself. Not your parents, or your spouse, or your business associates. What did you do with this gift of living? 
it will be an important question to you then. So you should make it an important question now. Father, I thank you today for the chance to come together as believers in Christ. Our identity is in you. The enemy loves to try to script our lives, but Lord, you have scripted our lives. You have called us to greater things. You've called us to an identity in you. You've called us to healthy relationships. You have called us into a legacy life that's going to endure beyond our own. And the enemy would love to look at us and simply say it's too late for you. But Father, what I found is that it's never too late until it's too late. And so, Father, today we want to step in faith. We want to walk in faith. We, we, we want to take this step, but we know we're not enough in our own strength. But, Lord, as we step into the direction that you have for our lives, my prayer, Father, is that you would then simply step in and do what we could never do in our own strength. Thank you, Father. We love you today in Jesus' name. Amen.